the medium of podcasting allows you to have conversations and through understanding your buyer more intimately, you understand what their challenges are, what they're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to do. And because the medium of podcasting facilitated all these conversations, I quickly got to figure out who our ideal customer was. Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM, and streaming at WERA.FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Tonight's guest learned firsthand about the transformational power of relationships after a chance meeting supercharged his career. He later decided to develop an approach to creating powerful relationships on demand. James Carberry is the founder of Sweetfish Media and the author of Content-Based Networking, How to Instantly Connect with Anyone You Want to Know. He's also the executive producer and co-host of the B2B Growth Show podcast. James joins us to share the story of that chance meeting, as well as what he's learned about readily connecting with people you want to know. James, welcome to Grace in 30. Thank you so much, Ed. I'm really excited for this conversation. So let's just kick off with that story because I've, I've heard it before and it had to do with a friend of yours winning tickets to go to a football game and be flown in. It's kind of one of these fantasy things that we hear about. Tell us about that and who you met and how that led to really sort of a radical change in your career. Yeah. So I, in 2008, my roommate's brother-in-law won a sweepstakes through the old phone company, Altel. And it was one of those things that you see on TV and you're like, nobody actually wins those things. Well, he actually won it. And so it was one of those like text football, the, you know, 1-800-ALTEL, blah, 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 whatever the number is. And you can win, you and nine of your friends can win an all expense trip to a professional football game of your choice. And so my roommate's brother-in-law won it. And because he didn't have a lot of uh, friends in the area, he had just moved to Oklahoma from Texas. He asked his brother-in-law if uh, he had some friends that would want to come along on this. So my buddy called me and he was like, hey, do you want to take a private jet to New York City and watch a Giants-Cowboys game with uh, with you know nine of our buddies? And I, of course jumped at the opportunity to do that. And so this super, uh, super chance thing, serendipity out the wazoo. And uh, I, we got on the jet, got to go to New York City, uh, got to hang out with Barry Sanders for the afternoon. And there was a guy on that trip. I just thought he was, you know, an employee of Altel. I didn't really think anything of it. His name was, uh, is Jeff Flournoy. And so I hit it off with Jeff. We talked about faith, talked about family, talked about business. And over the course of the day, he, you know, Jeff was really just walking us through the entire day, making sure that the entire trip was seamless. And over the course of the day, I realized that this guy is not just an Altel employee. This guy owns a global logistics company that Altel hired to manage the logistics of this trip. And so uh, his company does stuff, you know, all, at events, large events all over the world. They do the Olympics, they do the Super Bowl, uh, they go to the Final Four. And so uh, this guy just had a really interesting story and connected with him, learned more about his story. We swapped, uh, we swapped contact information at the end of the day. 
And I just thought that was it. I thought this serendipitous connection, you know, with this guy that, you know, got to have a great conversation with uh, for the day, I thought that would be the end of it. And as it, as it turns out about a year and a half later, I stayed in contact with Jeff and he ended up asking me to move from Oklahoma to Orlando, Florida to run the helicopter division of his business. And so I uh, prayed about it, ultimately decided to, to take a leap of faith and, and move to a city I'd never even been to before. And, uh, and the rest is history. I worked for Jeff for three years. That was where I got my passion for entrepreneurship. I had never before thought that I could run my own business, but working for Jeff for three years really taught me that I had what it takes to to start my own thing and that I had a passion for entrepreneurship. Uh, and then once moving to Orlando, I that's where I met my wife as well. So who knows if I would have ever come across Lisa's path uh, independent of living in Orlando. Uh, and so, uh, so the serendipitous relationship that I that I had with Jeff ended up mapping to my entire life being different. And uh, so fast forward, I've now figured out, man, how do, how do you reverse engineer relationships like that? Relationships that can have a incredible, an incredible impact on your life. Uh, and, uh, and that's how, you know, we, we developed content-based networking and this approach to collaborative content, like creating content with people that you want to know so that you can build relationships with them as opposed to, you know, depending on serendipity to meet these people at events or, you know, different networking things. Uh, you can, you can put all of that aside and just say, I want to know this person. I'm going to go ask if I can create content with them and the chances are good. They're going to say yes. So what was the moment where you said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to come up with a method to do this instead of just waiting on these things to happen. Were you were you in the shower or the hot tub? Were you are you sort of, <laughs> sort of are you always planning yeah. things and thinking them through? When did it come to you that like wow maybe I can reproduce this? Yeah. So uh, so what happened? I we were a blog writing agency for the first year of our business, and we had a customer that we were getting really incredible results for. They were a church in Houston, Texas. Uh, they were a church plant, actually. So kind of a startup church for those not familiar with with that world. And uh, and so I had already done a podcast with a friend of mine, and we were trying to figure out how we could replicate these types of customers. And so I thought, well, what if I started a podcast and asked other church planters to be a guest on this show? Uh, and I'll just see what they say. And so we sent out a uh, hundred emails to complete strangers that were church planners, these very busy people. They're, they're, you know, the entrepreneurs of the church world and 80 of those people replied to the email, not just opened it, but replied to the email. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've never had any sort of outreach campaign work this well. Uh, we ended up doing episodes with 45 of those people. We eventually figured out that church planners don't have any money for content marketing. And so the product market fit wasn't there, but uh, that's ultimately when we decided to pivot at the business and say, hey, we're going to actually start producing these podcasts for B2B companies that know who their ideal buyer is because the strategy was incredibly effective for us and it could very much work for other people. So that's that's how it happened. It just came as a result of me trying to reverse engineer how can I build relationships with people that could potentially buy our service. I, I got to ask, why do you think people respond that way? Such a high percentage, 80% is ridiculous. And typically you do a campaign, you get two or 5%, yeah. you're happy. I've experienced the same thing <laughs> yeah. on the radio program. I, we, we ask people to come on the air and we're not, you know, on a 50,000 watt stick. We're just, you know, talking to people on a local nonprofit, but people just get excited. They love the notion of getting on some sort of a program and talking and getting that type of exposure. 
Have you thought about why? Do you have any understanding why people are willing to do this sort of thing? I think what it comes down to is that it is inherently valuable for the person that you are asking to be on the show. I, I think there there are some people that we found, you know, if you're in IT or if you don't really care about your personal brand, then, you know, it's kind of intimidating. You don't really want to be a guest on a show. But for, but for the most part, if you're a professional in the workplace, you care about your personal brand, you care about growing your career you know that being a guest on a show where a third party is setting you up to look like an expert or to look like you know what you're talking about, there's inherent value in that. And and in the marketing world, you hear a lot of people say, you got to add value, you got to add value, you got to add value. But how most companies interpret that is, well, adding value is talking about us and talking about our expertise and talking about what we know about. And, And I think when it comes to this medium, when you ask someone to be a guest and you say, hey, I want to create an episode with you, I want to highlight you as the expert, they they see the intrinsic value that that does for them because they know that once this episode goes live, they can post about it on their LinkedIn profile, they can send it to their email list, they can position this as like, hey, look, I'm an expert, this this guy over here just featured me on his show. He wouldn't have featured me on the show unless he thought I was an expert. So I think that's why people say yes, Ed. I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons to it, but I I think at its heart, people just can see very clearly that this is going to be beneficial for them. And so they say yes, as opposed to when you reach out to somebody and ask if you can pick their brain for 15 minutes, or if you can demo them your software for 15 minutes, they, they don't see that as valuable to them. It's very clear that that is valuable to you, the person making the ask. But with this kind of ask, it's clear to them that this is actually valuable to them. Boy, I I hope people are really listening to you because you're sharing some real nuggets of wisdom. I mean, how many times have we written a note to someone on LinkedIn or called someone and said, hey, can can I get five or 10 minutes of your time? And usually it just ends with a thud. And this is really a compelling way to draw people to you and then to build that relationship. Yes. So don't let me don't let me spoil what you're going to say. Tell me then how you you kind of came into doing what you're actually doing now. What's the secret sauce of Sweetfish Media? Where did you come up with the name Sweetfish Media? Why did you choose that? <laughs> and and then how can you encourage yes. people to to sort of do the same thing that you're doing? Yeah. So Sweetfish just came because I really like Swedish fish. And so my roommate at the time when we, when I started the business was like, you know, we were trying red fish and we were thinking about all these different names. And, uh, eventually my roommate said, well, what about Sweetfish? And that was it. So we haven't looked so, back so since. You mean, you mean the candies, um, correct? Yes. Yes. The I Swedish mean, fish candies. Things, my grandpa used to love those candy. Those are your kryptonite. Those are my kryptonite. I, I'm actually a huge fan of Red Vines Licorice. I just couldn't figure out a way to name a company after a licorice back then. But if my my next company, I'll probably I'll probably try to figure it out. You talked about you you reached out to churches and they really didn't have the financial means to continue doing things. You've fallen into this B two B marketing niche. You sort of found something successful there. How did you kind of come up with doing that that approach and 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 tell us how it thrives. Yeah. So, so we were in a lot of circles at the time, uh, where I was learning a lot about B2B sales because, you know, I just started this business and we were selling to other companies. And so I was learning a lot from, you know, B2B sales thought leaders. And so I originally thought that B2B sales professionals would actually be the buyers of 
this podcasting service that we were going to develop as a result of figuring out how effective this was. Because I thought, man, what salesperson on the planet isn't going to want a really easy way to engage with their buyers in a way that's not, hey, want to you know, take, take my demo. Um, that's not about them is instead about, you know, the person they're trying to reach out to. And so I started reaching out to a bunch of VPs of sales. I think our first 150 episodes of B2B growth, uh, the, the whole premise of the show was talking to B2B sales leaders and come to find out B2B salespeople or B2B sales leaders have budget for headcount. So hiring more salespeople and they have budget for technology, anything that smells like marketing, uh, B2B sales leaders don't get to spend money on. So uh, I kept getting pushed over to their marketing counterpart at their organization. And that's when I realized like, okay, I need to be, I need to shift the focus of the show to B2B marketing. And we need to be asking VPs of marketing to be on the show, not VPs of sales. So that's how that, that, that's how that transition happened. And, and the beautiful thing about this, you know, as you can tell from, you know, doing, doing the plant better podcast, realizing that didn't work, shifting over to B2B growth, with one buyer persona in mind, that didn't work. So then shifting over to VPs of marketing, get, and fortunately the show was named B2B Growth, so we didn't have to change the name of the show because it worked whether you're in sales or marketing. But the the reason I think we were able to make those shifts and do it so quickly is because the medium of podcasting allows you to have conversations. And through understanding your buyer more intimately, you understand what their challenges are, what they're trying to accomplish, what they're trying to do. And because the medium of podcasting facilitated all these conversations, I quickly got to figure out uh, who our ideal who our ideal customer was. So this strategy for an early stage entrepreneur, I think is is so perfect because it allows you to have these conversations and to learn like what facets of your product are interesting to the people that you think it should be interesting to. Uh, and it'll probably open your eyes to completely new markets that you wouldn't have even thought about before because you're having these conversations day after day after day. It, it expedites your ability to get product market fit. Yeah, I, lo- I love this because everybody is everybody's doing a podcast, it seems. And people like Gary Vee, I know you're a big fan of his, you know, are encouraging folks to do podcasts. But, you know, there's a leap between doing a podcast and doing something in a way that really adds value and, and you can build a business on. And I think that's what's really yes. cool about what you're doing. I'm going to get back to some of this, but I want to make sure we touch on a couple of other things, though, during the conversation. When you and I spoke initially, I called you about something else unrelated. I was sort of pitching something to you and getting your feedback. You mentioned that you have this goal in your heart to fund a million adoptions and that you're, you know, the business success that you have, you can take some money from that and funnel it into, you know, satisfying that goal. And I was just really curious. I thought it was really a cool thing, a noble thing. And I'd love for you to share with listeners where that came about, what, where that idea came about in your heart and, and how you're pushing forward to accomplish that. Yeah. So thanks for bringing that up. Uh, and, and so when I was 21 years old, I worked at camp in Panama city beach, Florida, and the camp pastor was in the process of adopting, uh, his, uh, it was his second child. They, he and his wife had had, um, a biological child and they were in the process of adopting, um, their second child. And just through hearing the story of him talk about the process, uh, and, and really hear him elaborate on how, adoption is 
such a reflection of the gospel. Like we as Christians, we don't deserve God's grace. We don't, there, there's nothing that we did to earn God's grace. And in the same way, you know, a child who's been born into an unfortunate circumstance, uh, they don't necessarily, you know, they, they didn't earn the right, you know, they didn't earn uh, anything. They didn't do anything um, to, to earn having a, having a family that loves and cares for them. But in the same way that God reaches down and rescues us from our own sin. Uh, I, I think we as believers, as the church, I think it's our responsibility to reach in and help rescue uh, kids that were born into unfortunate circumstances that that need a loving home, rescue them out of you know a life of you know foster care and bouncing around from home to home. Uh, and so it's just something that I, when, I, when I saw the correlation of what adoption. Uh, looks like it, as it relates to how how God adopts us as believers, um, it just became something that I couldn't stop thinking about. And so uh, now that my wife and I, you know, have uh, have been married a few years, we're looking at what does it look like for us to engage in adoption or in foster care, and and how can we serve and and help in that area? I think, man, as a as a founder of a media company, what can I do to create awareness for this issue? And so we're looking at, you know, starting uh, a media property specifically around this concept. And so trying to attract, you know, young married Christian individuals that uh, would be fantastic advocates for adoption and fantastic people to adopt uh, kids that uh, otherwise would have uh, a wildly different outcome in their life. I just think the impact it can have, not just on that one child's life, but on their lineage, right? Like they, if they're if they're adopted into a loving home that loves Christ, uh, the impact that not just they can have on the world, but their kids and their kids' kids, uh, you can end so many cycles of you know, negative cycles in someone's life just by adopting them into your home and showing them uh, what God's love looks like manifested in your family. Um, and so that's uh, that, those are just a few of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it and. and and hopefully, uh, in the not too distant future, uh, we will be well on our way to, to building a media property and to hopefully funding a lot of adoptions for for folks that want to step into it. Yeah, that's really cool. Of course, you're you're on Grace in Thirty, so you know I'm a, I'm a Grace junkie. I love these sort of stories. <laughs> um, is there a certain motivation? Like I've, I've talked to a handful of people who are involved in ministries where they're trying to instead of just stop abortion. They're trying to say, and we're also going to help that child when it's born. We're going to help that mother who yes. maybe had the child at 17 or 19 and and the, and, the, and the deadbeat dad is gone and and she really wants to have a job. She really wants to raise it the best as possible. And and there's these different, most of them in very small ministries that are trying to help people actually change. There's one called Bor- Borromeo Housing locally here in the D.C. area. The woman, Darlene Baki, brings like six young ladies in and and they sign up for a two-year it's like hardcore. We're going to teach you how to raise this child and how to love it. We're going to teach you about the gospel. We're going to teach you how to build a skill and work. And and the success they've had sending these young ladies out into the world where they can stand on their own. They're not a drain on the government. I've kind of gotten off on a tangent, but are, are you focusing with these adoptions on any particular category like, you know, people who decided not to have an abortion, but they still can't raise the child or maybe, you know, Romanian children or something that you had a heart for that for some reason. Is there, is there any particular focus that you have? 
I, I think my focus, Ed, is really trying to be a catalyst for the church. I, I think the big C church, uh, not it, it is, I think it is our responsibility as Christ followers to step in and help solve this problem. Um, the, the, the fact that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, <laughs> anybody can adopt, but I think the call that we have on our lives as Christians, uh, the call that we have collectively as the church, uh, I, I think we should, uh, I, I think we should be prompted to action. And, uh, and, and so I really see it as, uh, something that God's put heavily on my heart, uh, to catalyze the church toward, taking seriously the call that we should take care of widows and orphans. And so obviously specifically on the, you know, on the, on the orphan side of that equation. And so being able to partner people in the church with resources that they need to get involved in the foster care system, learning how they can, uh, you know, foster to adopt or adopt out of the foster care system, uh, because it's, it's, there's a lot of unknowns. My wife and I are going through the process right now, and there's a lot of questions that, you know, there aren't, answers readily available to you. Um, and there's just, I don't think a lot of people talking about this in the church. I happen to be a part of a church, Mosaic church here in Orlando, Florida, that, you know, I think it's a, you know, a couple thousand people that go to this church and over 150 families have adopted because the senior pastor has stepped into adoption and they've, they've adopted four kids into their family, uh, from Oxum, Ethiopia, in addition to four kids that they already had. So that's a really powerful story. And a lot of families at that church now have stepped into adoption, but I think most churches in America aren't necessarily talking about adoption. And so uh, I, I, that's that's my uh, heart's call, Ed, is to really catalyze the church and make them aware of the issue that there are more, <laughs> there, there are as many, uh, I, when I look at the data uh, and you look at how many kids are currently in the foster care system uh, versus how many churches they are, there are in America, uh, it's the same number. There are as many kids in foster care as there are churches in America. And so if one family in every church in America uh, decided to say, hey, I want to step in and help solve this problem, uh, we could really eradicate the need for foster care. And these kids could be raised in in gospel-centered homes. Uh, and I think that that's transformative. I, I think that uh, I, I think it would carry the gospel forward uh, in a very substantial way. Yeah, I love I love that looking at something like that. I mean, just one family per church and it's really not much. And you, you know, you could imply the same math to homelessness. Yes. And and people getting out of prisons. I mean, yep. it doesn't take a lot for our churches to step up and and take up their cross daily. You know, yep. sometimes these things are very difficult at first. They feel very painful, but then they turn into joy. But I mean, you know, boy, if we could just do this sort of practical stuff and and really be a witness and a light to the world. So you've mentioned clearly, you've mentioned Jesus, you've mentioned grace and your faith. So how do you, I mean, I look at your Instagram and your Twitter pages, it lists, you know, you're a lover of Jesus, Lisa and Sweetfish in that order. So, so how does Jesus Christ inform, you know, your life, your business, this media company that you're running, you know, your relationship with your wife, how does, how does he and your relationship with him inform those things? Yeah. And I'm a, I always joke, I'm a very simple guy, you know, raised in Oklahoma. I'm, I'm not, uh, we're all as humans, obviously complex, uh, you know, 
creations of of God. But uh, I, I try to keep it very simple. And for me, the part of the Bible that has always been very compelling to me uh, is the part where it talks about, you know, the, the two biggest commandments are to love God and to love people. And so and the way that we love people or the, or the way that, you know, we show our love for God is the way we love people. And so our number one core value in our business at Sweetfish is to love people well. And that's something that's a mantra that I want to carry with me for the rest of my life. I want my life to be uh, a life that reflects my love of God because of the way I love people. And so I emphasize it in, in the company I'm building now, Sweetfish, and it will be the number one core value of any business that I build um, because I want that to be a stamp on my life. Uh, until I go and, and get to be with Jesus one day. So I think loving people well is 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 a big part of that. Uh, I, I think adopting someone into your home is obviously one way to love them. There are a gajillion different ways to love people. My wife loves uh, loving people through gifts and, and knowing someone intimately and understanding what they like and what they don't like and inside jokes and, and doing custom gifts for them. I like doing kind of like bigger, extravagant experiences. I started a company called Worth Day uh, in my 20s where we planned really elaborate days for people, not because it was their birthday or any special occasion, but just because we wanted them to feel loved. And so there are so many different things you can do to love people well. I want my life to be uh, a life that inspires others to, to love really, really well. I've got a lot of room to grow. I learn from my wife every single day on how I can love better, but that's that's it for me. Uh, if, if I can live my life in such a way where I love God and I love people, um, knowing that the way I love people is a reflection of my love for God, then, then I think it's going to be a pretty good life. So we got a few minutes, about three and a half minutes. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of sort of closing questions. One is I just wanted to kind of ask you, you know, what's the most important piece of advice you would give people? You know, some some aspiring podcaster, someone trying to emerge in the media business. What what's that thing? You're on the elevator, you only got a few minutes, sort of like the location, location, location of real estate. <laughs> what what would you tell people, you know, who are trying to get a foothold in this and 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 do something, you know, both earn money and make an impact? What would you tell them? Yeah. So I, I think it's all about relationships is what I would tell them. And so instead of thinking about trying to amass, you know, a million followers, think about how you can create five relationships that can change the trajectory of your life. Who would those five people be? Where are they? How could you connect with them? And uh, and then go and create content with those five people. And so I think getting people to really critically think about who, who are the relationships that can catapult me to where I want to go? Uh, that would be my, my elevator advice. Yeah. I always say to people, relationships, relationships, relationships. <laughs> it's yep. just, just like location, location, location. Yep, in exactly terms right. of, in terms of your spirituality, I mean, is there something you want to share with folks, something you feel like it's on your heart when you interact with people and you, you know, whether that's the gospel or a definition of grace or whatever, is there something you'd like to share? And I, I think it just doesn't need to be complicated. Uh, I think having a relationship with Jesus and being able to talk to God on a regular basis, um, I think I would just want people to, I would want to tell people that God wants a relationship with us. Um, I, I, it, 
shocks me that even as much as I know this, uh, you know, I can go days without actually talking to God. Um, but God desires that he wants, he wants us to communicate with him. He wants us to listen. He wants us to talk back. He wants us to be frustrated. He wants us to share the emotions that we're feeling with him. And, uh, and so I'm very fortunate to have people in my life that walk out a really intimate relationship with Jesus every day. And I get to see that and hear about that. So it, it pushes me closer uh, to that in my own life. Uh, and so that's, that's what I would hope for other people is, is that they know that it, this is, uh, that, that God's not somebody you should be hiding yourself from and, and, and feel shame about something that you've done. Uh, but instead you should be running to, to share that with God, because that's the kind of intimacy he wants to have with you. Excellent. Sounds like gen- genuineness and authenticity. People really, they want that and God wants that, right? Yes. So, James, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, if listeners would like to find out more about the work that James is doing in his company, you can check him out on the web at sweetfishmedia.com. And I'll also include a link to your book on the Grace and 30 website. This is Ed and James signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace. <laughs>